Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone! my favorite screenshot ever. Right? Okay. Someone takes a picture of it. Oh, okay. It is Wednesday night and it is not just any Wednesday night. It is friends and fiction night. And it is not just friends and fiction night. It is our one year birthday party. We did it. Welcome. <laughs> I am Patty Callahan Henry. And I'm Mary Alice Monroe. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. <laughs> she doesn't know who she is. I can't recognize myself with the glasses. Oh, that's I? it. <laughs> I'm Kristen Harmel. And I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. And this is Friends in Fiction. Five hey. best-selling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores. Tonight, we are thrilled to welcome the indomitable and number one New York Times best-selling author, Jody Pico. Tonight, we'll be hearing about the deep research Jody does for her bestsellers, including her latest book, The Book of Two Ways. We'll visit Egypt and talk about her inspirations for her work. We'll talk about what women's fiction really might mean. And of course, we won't let her get away without a writing tip. Oh, is that me? It's our birthday month. <laughs> and even though it's our birthday, we are giving you the presents every week. Susie McMahon is the lucky winner in last week's Barn Light Electric Reading Lamp giveaway. And this week, our gift to one lucky winner is a cake from my favorite cake company, Caroline's Cakes. The winner, you, the winner gets to choose any of the delicious signature Caroline cakes, shipping included. My favorite right here is the coconut lemon, though they're famous for the seven-layer caramel cake. I think that's Mary Kay's favorite. Yeah. Plus, some lucky winner will get a gift set from Charleston Coffee Roasters, including a mug and a bag of the Beach House Blend Coffee, which was inspired by my Beach House series. And there's more. To go with your delicious cake and coffee, you can pick any Fab Five book who will be the winner of this sweet cake and coffee giveaway? Find the entry form link on our Facebook and Instagram and in our newsletter and enter before Sunday and eat cake, be happy. <laughs> oh, so tonight after the after show will be more than our usual after show. It will be a birthday party. Mm -hmm. So we have a video to show and make sure you stick around because it'll be at the after show. And who wants to miss a party? No one. Not me. Not me. No one. But now, before we dive into the rest of this stuff, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors, our partners, Mama Geraldine's and Page One Book Subscriptions. We adore them both, and the code FAB5, named after the five of us, will get you a discount on both websites. We'll be telling you more about them later on in the show. 
We will also be telling you about our featured independent bookseller of the week, Still North Books and Bar in downtown Hanover, New Hampshire. The link is above the video, and it is also posted under announcements on our Facebook page. But before we welcome Jody and really get started, we have something really, again, really special for you tonight. Our very own... Mary Kay Andrews. It's me, look. That, see, this is really us. It is. It's her. It's here with her trailer for The Newcomer, which comes out May 4th, which is appropriate because when we first started Friends in Fiction a year ago tonight, it was Mary Kay who said, let's get together on a Zoom. And, well, you know what happened after that because you're here. So, Sean, roll the trailer. will be out May 4th. It's some mystery. It's some romance. It's set on the Florida Gulf Coast, yep. which happens to be my hometown. And so what I want to tell you all is that if you pre-order uh, the newcomer, which comes out May 4th, did I already say that? Um, <laughs> from our bookstore of the week, um, the bookstore of the week is <laughs> True North. Still North. Still, still North Books and Bar. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I am going to send you one of these cool motel, Ooh. old school motel key fobs. It says so cool. newcomer on this side and then friends and fiction on the other side. So uh, pre-order your book from um, Still, Still North, North Books. Books. <laughs> and I'll send you the key fob and an autographed book plate. Stay tuned for lots more details about my upcoming tour. Oh, I'm so excited. All right. So usually this is where we talk about our parade essay, but tonight we'll be chatting about that in our big after party show because it connects directly to our mission here at Friends in Fiction. So you won't want to miss any of the fun we have in store for you tonight. So make sure you stick around. And now let's talk about our incredible guest, Jody Pico. And remember, if you have questions for her, please just put them in the comments. We'll be pulling a few during the show. Jody is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 25 internationally bestselling novels. Her most recent novel, The Book of Two Ways, published on September 22nd, 2018. It was her 11th consecutive number one New York <laughs> Times bestseller. Wow. I know. Wow. wow. It is about <laughs> the choices that alter the course of our lives in an instant. And Pico's books have been translated into 34 languages in 35 countries. Small Great Things has been optioned for motion picture adaptation by Amlin Entertainment and is set to star Viola Davis and Julia Roberts. Now, that's, that's who ever heard of those two? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's Julia Roberts? Viola Davis. I don't know. Yeah, Amlin Entertainment. Oh, that's amazing. Super, so right? <laughs> yeah, it is, I think. Yeah, yeah. So Jody's written two young adult novels, Between the Lines and Off the Page, with her daughter, Samantha Van Leer. She's also the recipient of many awards and holds an honorary Doctor of Letters degree from Dartmouth College 
Oh, degrees from the Dartmouth College, Dartmouth College and the University of New Haven. Wow. She lives in New Hampshire with Pretty her cool. husband, and they have three children. So let's bring Jody on and welcome her. Yay! Welcome, Jody. Hi, Hi, guys. Happy birthday. Thank you. I have to take it off because um, I can't breathe. It's not killing me. I know. It's popping off. Welcome. We are well, so thank glad you for having me. It's so nice to be here. Thank We're you. Here. I also I can tell all of you guys are Southern because you have three names. Most of you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I'm the only non-Southerner. Mm -hmm. There we go. Who lives in Orlando, which is well, scary. Yeah, that's not really the South. <laughs> well, we're thrilled you're here for our one-year anniversary because the one-year anniversary is paper. So. Oh, cool. That that's really sense. good. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Well, it's a lovely, lovely day to be here. I want to thank you because I got a ton of swag and I never get good swag, but I mean, I am, I'm decked out. I've got my cake. Champagne and my friends in fiction glass. So yeah. I'm, I'm very delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, Jody, we're so happy you're here and we are dying to hear about the book of two ways. So can you tell us about <laughs> it? Sort of the elevator pitch because we are going to deep dive into it in just a minute. Sure, I'm gonna try because I think I've forgotten it all. Um, so, no way. Yeah, it's the story of a woman named Dawn. And when you meet her, um, she is on a plane and it's going down. And instead of thinking about her husband and her daughter, um, who is a teenager, she brings to mind uh, this memory of a life that she gave up when she was an Egyptology grad student and she was working on a dig with a guy that she wound up falling in love with. And she hasn't thought of this person in 15 years. And um, when she actually survives this crash, she is given a ticket anywhere she wants to go because that's the way it works when you survive a crash. And, right. And, um, and at that point, the book splits into two different, um, two different uh, alternating chapters. One that shows you her life in Boston with her husband and her daughter, and one that shows you her life in Egypt if she continues to go there and to um, to speak to this guy, Wyatt, who meant so much to her, and to finish a life that she didn't get to finish because of life circumstances that changed that. So it's really a book about, um, you know, who would you be if you weren't who you are right now? Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, a question, ironically, that we've all been asking ourselves. We've all mm -hmm. kind of wondered this past year, what if this year hadn't happened? What would I be doing? Where would I be? I mean, I never planned to publish a book during the pandemic. None of us did. Yeah. But, um, you know, in thinking about it, this felt like a very resonant book because I think a lot of us have had those questions. Mm -hmm. I agree. So, so true. I love that idea. Who would you be if you weren't, if you weren't. right now? Like, right. just take a hook, pull me in, done. <laughs> And right. I bet nearly every single person here or listening has thought about that why in the road, about yeah. an alternative, yeah. about right. a life not chosen. One of my favorite quotes about that is by Cheryl Strait, you know, who wrote Wild. Mm -hmm. She has that great book about Dear Sugar, and somebody wrote a letter, and her advice was, I'm going to read it. I'll never know, and neither will you, of the life you don't choose. We'll only know that whatever that sister life was, it was important and beautiful and not ours. It was the ghost ship that didn't carry us. Ooh, I love that. I, know. I love that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I kept yeah. thinking about that when I was, I, I yeah. listened to it and I kept thinking, what was the spark 
for the book of two ways. Was it this idea of a wine life? I'm dying to hear about the sparks that set the origin story of this book. Well, the origin story of this book is a weird one. Um, <laughs> the weirder, the better. So yeah, that's what we're great. all about. <laughs> so I have, I have three kids and my oldest is 29. And when he was at Yale, he was, um, his major was Egyptology. He's one of the, you know, 10 people in the world who can read Middle Egyptian. And so he, um, very cool, (laughs) right? So he came home one day and he was translating a book, you know, during a vacation. It was an assignment and it was called the book of two ways. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, it's an ancient Egyptian funerary text. And many of us have heard about the, uh, the book of the dead. Um, which is actually called in, in Egyptian, the book of going forth by day. Well, this is kind of a precursor to that. It's from a little bit older in the middle kingdom of uh, Egypt. And um, it was basically found in a certain place in Egypt, the middle Egypt, um, in the bottoms of cedar coffins of nobles and, uh, and their wives and their families. And it was basically um, a how-to guide of how to get once you're dead to the afterlife. How do you get to, you know, the next world? And in the book of two ways, what they posed is that you could go on a land route or you could take a water route. And there were all kinds of obstacles that you would face, but no matter which one you took, you would wind up at the same place. And it's called the field of offerings. It's the ancient Egyptian version of heaven. And so, um, I love that concept. I was like, wow, the book of two ways is a great title for a novel. That was literally as far as I got at that moment. And I always thought I wanted to write a book like that. I wanted to write a story where I could mirror the book of the actual literal book of two ways in the text. And I wanted to go to Egypt and I wanted to do research and I booked a trip for my family. And that was the summer of Arab spring and no one in America was going to Egypt. So we canceled the trip and years later, my son got married and his former thesis advisor came to the wedding. And I said to her, you know, I really still want to write this book. And she said, well, I'll take you. And so a few months later, I got a very private, very academic tour with one of the foremost Egyptologists (laughs) in this country, Dr. Colleen Darnell. (laughs) (laughs) And the really cool thing was that, you know, if you go to Egypt now as an American, they're going to take you to certain places. You're going to go to Cairo. You're going to go to Luxor. You're, you know, um, you're going to see the sites, but you're going to skip entirely over Middle Egypt because there have been a lot of terrorist things that have happened there. And so Americans don't usually go there. And we had to get permission. We had to go with an armed guard. We had people with like really old machine guns driving us in a Jeep. We had to have, um, you know, security with us at all times. The government had to give us permission. And I got to see these rock cut tombs, which are exactly what my character Dawn and um, her former love interest, Wyatt, would have been studying back when she was an Egyptology student. And That's in the cool. book, Wyatt has gone on to have the career she didn't and is now the head of uh, this this um, uh, university um, Egyptology program. And he basically took a discovery that they uncovered together 15 years earlier and has now brought it to its its final point. And so it was really fun to see it firsthand. And the things that that surprised me the most about being in Egypt were that I I always think about Egypt as dusty and old. And when you go into these tombs, the paint is vibrant. And it's like yesterday. It's like the bottom of my hair. It's so bright, you know, and and you just aren't expecting that. 
um, I just, I, oh. I thought it was so beautiful and, uh, and it was really fun to be able to, to see it from an academic's point of view and also to learn how an, a dig has changed in 15 years because technology has completely revised the way Egyptologists oh. do their work now. So I got to write about both of those in the book, which was super fun. That's really it's kind of cool. like Indiana Jones, you know, yeah. like a modern day Indiana Jones. But I feel like when you said that's a great book title, the universe said, I'm not giving up on you. I'm yeah. going to send this yeah. thesis yeah. advisor yeah. to the wedding yeah. because you right. said it and now you're doing it. Yeah. Wow. And your patience paid off. What a tool. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you guys have had that too. Don't you have books oh, yeah. that just ideas that just stick in your head, yeah. like, oh, yeah. you know, like a fishbone in your throat. It's not a good feeling. You've got to somehow get it out of you. And they so, never took uh, me to yeah. Egypt. Yeah. They never took yeah. me to Egypt. On right. A well, you never floor. know. That's yeah. Never say never. Yeah. <laughs> true. So yeah, I, heard, I have heard you talk about the annoyance. And I think that's probably an understatement of having your books categorized as women's fiction. And I'm in that same category. <laughs> You've said, I think this is in part due to this very arbitrary distinction between women about what women's fiction is. Mm -hmm. A book that examines the relationships between people or families is called women's fiction. Mm -hmm. If it's written by a woman author, and if it's written by a man, it's called groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> Thought provoking. Yeah, we don't have enough time in this little podcast. For this. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have enough champagne. I don't, you know, we can send you more. Yeah, Cheers, darling. You know, I, I've been very vocal about this for a really, really long time. And um, when people uh, look, first, let me say women's fiction is awesome. Right. Yeah, I mean, awesome. it's great. All fiction is awesome. Yeah, women read and romance is fantastic and mystery is fantastic and every genre is great. But when people call the book women's fiction, what they're really saying is a woman wrote that book. Not who's reading it, but a woman wrote that book. There is no way on earth that Nicholas Sparks doesn't write women's fiction. Yep. Yeah. But <laughs> even he will describe it as love tragedy. I don't know what that is, but you know, that's his thing. And, oh, and love yet, tragedy. I, I'm not making this up. And honestly, that that really upsets me that women tend to get yeah. pigeonholed because of the things they write as yeah. if it is, you know, incredibly ground. No, like it, to, I don't know why it's a major miracle for a male writer to have both male genitalia and a heart. But apparently <laughs> it is. And I don't think that women are the only ones who yeah. read my books. And in fact, I was so tired of being called a women's fiction author because I knew it wasn't true. I tracked my fan mail for three months and 51% of my fan mail comes from men. And they all start, they write and they're like, I'm sure I'm the only man reading your books. And I'm like, it's okay, honey, you're not. You know, but it's not even that. I mean, there's some books I write. Yeah. I mean, there are some books I write where I wonder why, how on earth you could consider my book Chicklet or, you know, a beach read, because like small, great things is a great example of that. When they called that a beach read, I was like, wow, worst vacation ever. You know, because <laughs> if you're picking up a book that's about racism in America, you know, it's not a walk in the park. And there's nothing, there's not even a kiss in that book. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm amazed at how, um, how easily pigeonholed women are. And I don't think that's right. I don't know why we assume that women should read both men and women, but yeah. we allow men to say, well, I only read male authors. That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Bravo. I look, my, I look at my husband's library on his um, reading device. 
and it's 99.5% uh, male unless yeah. he accidentally reads um, an author with initials. Yeah. You know? yeah, with initials, right. yeah. yeah. Right. Slip yeah. one past you there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, right. Cody, each yeah. week we support an indie bookstore, and this week you've chosen Still North Books in Hanover. Yeah. Tell us about that store and why it's special to you. So it's in my hometown, but what is really special to me is because it's brand new. Um, oh, wow. that, I mean, new they store. opened months before the pandemic. Oh, no. Oh, yes. No. And amazingly, um, wow. Allie Levy, who is the one who, who opened it, has managed to keep it going to have, you know, books that people order and they, they uh, put them in little bags and they're waiting for you. And I, I just really... I hope she sticks around for a while. So I wanted to do the absolute best that I could to support her. We hope she does too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So the link for Still North Books is above. And remember, you get 10% off with the code FF0421. It is so important to keep supporting these locally owned stores. We talk about this every week, you guys. So now, Jody, I know you are a meticulous researcher. You talked a little bit about that uh, earlier in the show. Um, so I have read that you have met with everyone from NASA experts to <laughs> To a man who spent a year alone in the woods with wolves. You've gone ghost hunting. You've spent time in an Arizona jail. You've even been to death row. This is amazing. So yes. I am dying to know a little bit more about the research that you did for the book of Lost, uh, Lost Ways, kind of some of the things you experienced when you were walking through those areas you talked about. Sure. And I would also love to know, do you research and write at the same time or are they separate for you? Yeah. So um, I try to do, I front load my research. Okay. And I, you know, I think the reason for that is because while I'm doing the research, I can filter through my head. I'm going to use this. I'm not going to use this, or this is going to change the direction of the book. You know, in a way I'm, I'm writing, I'm pre-writing in my head yeah. while I'm doing the research. So, um, you know, I told you a little bit about what I saw when I was um, in middle Egypt and it was, it was fascinating. And it was like the thing about, the thing about, uh, about, doing the research is that it put together for me a lot of ancient Egyptian lore that I kind of knew about, yeah. but didn't really understand. So for example, you all know that the Egyptians had mummies, right? Yeah. You probably do not know why. No. So the whole point of getting to the afterlife, if you were an ancient Egyptian, is that your ba soul would be able to leave your body and go hang out with Ray, the sun god. And party all day long and help pull the sun across the sky. And then at the end of the day, when the sun set, Ray reunites with his corpse. The corpse is another Egyptian god called Osiris. He is the lord of the netherworld. He's the, the guy who, you know, kind of like Hades, but Egyptian. And um, the reason that's important is because the whole tomb and the body act like a battery. Ray cannot power himself up for another day across of pulling the sun if he doesn't charge up at night with his physical body. Okay, so they have wow. to unite. And Ray and Osiris are like flip sides of the same coin. It's very mm -hmm. much like Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It's like one big package. Yeah. So the whole point of a human death is that you wanted your soul to hang out with the gods. And okay. that meant that your soul every night had to power up with your body. How do you make sure your body survives eternity? You mummify it. That's fascinating. Right. Wow. I did not so, that, and I feel like I know a lot about Egypt and I did not. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like that stuff was super, super cool, but that yes. was only half the research and actually more like a third of the research. Um, okay. 
I also wound up doing research about uh, quantum physics because my life wasn't hard enough. No. And I, yeah, <laughs> I, that was really, really hard for me because I, you know, I'm like, I'm not a math person. And so to be able to explain quantum physics and Schrodinger's cat to people who might not know anything about physics required me to understand it. And yeah. since uh, Dawn, my main character, is married to a quantum physicist and he studies uh, parallel universes and the idea of multiple lives, which of course weaves very beautifully in with the idea of um, the way I structured, you know, this book is two lives. Um, and then the last bit of research I had to do was really fascinating. And it involved Dawn's work uh, when she is, when she leaves Egypt, she winds up coming home to Boston and she becomes a death doula. And a lot of people know what a birth doula is, you know, yeah. it's somebody who kind of helps you deliver a baby um, and takes care of the mom as that transition's happening. A death doula is the opposite. They help people leave this world. Yeah. They do exist. It's a real thing. And I met people who were death doulas and I spent a week shadowing hospice, a hospice chaplain. And it was amazing. It was such a privilege to uh, be at the end of somebody's life when they don't have a lot of time to realize that they're sharing it with you. And what I realized was that a couple of things, nobody wants to be remembered for the way they are at the end when they're sick or frail or old. They want to be remembered for who they used to be. And what they really want is to give you a story, you know, so that you keep it in your hands and your heart. And as long as your story is kept alive, of course, you know, you're still here. Um, they also are just literally the same things the Egyptians worried about that you see all over their tombs and in the hieroglyphs and in the book of two ways is how do you have a good death? That's a question that we're still asking today. And remarkably, 4,000 years later, the answer is still the same. And it's have a good life. Figure out for yourself what is a good life. And again, you know, I don't want to drag us back to the year 2020, but I think we've all learned a little yeah. bit about what matters. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. And I, you know, I love that idea that you put so much into the research, into the facts of it, but it leads you mm -hmm. to these core observations sure. that get to the heart of who we all are. And I think that's what, I don't know, that's really what makes your book stand out. It's in, very just interesting yeah. to hear your process. Yeah. It's really fun. It's fun to do it. And I, I always learn a ton when I'm, yeah. you know, researching. And it's funny because um, when I was writing during this past year, I was doing as much research as I could on Zoom, like everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because that's what we were doing. And the one thing I had to do live was learn how to be a beekeeper. And I was like, all right, oh. how am I going to pull this off in the middle of a pandemic? Wow. And I found this guy who, you know, is a beekeeper, was willing to teach me from six feet away. I had a mask on under my veil, you know, and wow. that was how I spent a season with him learning about bees. Wow. That is so Amazing. cool. Wow. Yeah. You know, it, it, for me, it's it's really, I love being able to do it. It's the most fun part, I it think, is. of writing. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Judy, I've read that you say it takes you nine months to write a book, <laughs> almost exactly the same every time. So was it the same for this book? And also, do you have a routine that keeps you to that time or does it just work out that way? So it's, um, when I say nine months, that's to the end of a first draft. Right. Yeah. And you know, even when I add it up, it usually still winds up being about nine months. There are times that it's different. This book, um, this book was, uh, I don't know if it took exactly nine months because I had to, I had to go to Egypt at a time when this academic could go to Egypt. So I had to like pause everything yeah. and do this chunk of research for three weeks. And then I went to Texas actually, and I was doing research with hospice people. And um, so I had like, my research was in clots, you know, and I was forming everything else around it. Um, but, uh, 
there are some books just don't take very long and some books feel like they take forever. And when I add it up, it still seems to be nine months. I don't think it's, it's driven by anything except, you know, kind of my writing schedule, my touring schedule and my production schedule. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But there is something very gestational about it, for is sure. Is there a certain <laughs> place that you have that you like to write the most in your office? This is it. You're in my office. This is it. <laughs> oh, yeah. nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah I've spent a lot of time here in the past year, so yeah. <laughs> Love our offices. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm going to move over to another one of your com- accomplishments, and that's... All right. This, there's so <laughs> many. Must. I mean, we're, we're, yeah. we'll just tick them off as we go through the night. But this one really blew me away, and that's that you've written not one, but two musicals and the new musical breathe everybody breathe is going to have its virtual world premiere Mm. on may 14th so y'all you can order your tickets on jody's website right now yeah it's very exciting and you wrote the other one with samantha your daughter between the lines right so tell us about the musicals first of all and what it was like a to write a musical but also to write with your daughter yeah well so those are two different questions writing with my daughter to create that YA series was really interesting um it it started when Sammy was 13 years old she is let me 25 now so it started when she was 13 and I was on a book tour and I, I remember exactly where I was I was in traffic in LA and she called me up and she said I think I have a really good idea for a book and I was like okay hit me up. And she said, well, what if every time you closed a book, the characters inside it had lives and personalities different from who they were in the book? And what if there was a teenage girl who was like really kind of like quiet and had a really crappy home life. And she was obsessed with a kid's fairy tale because the prince who was illustrated and it was really attractive. And she, she felt like his circumstances really spoke to her. And then one day, so did he. And he wanted out of his story as much as she wanted out of hers. And I was oh, like, cool. wow, I have a genius <laughs> child. Because, you know, like, how many of us are still waiting for Mr. Darcy? We're all in love we're with all, our literary yes. friends, right? And so I said, you know, we're going to work on this together. And she was a kid. She had a day job, which was school. So we wrote it mm-hmm. on the summers um, when she was at home. We wrote right here. She had a chair like mine. And we would take turns typing. And um, we spoke every word out loud. We wrote the entire first book uh we toured three continents when she was 16 she's the only person in my family who knows what a book tour is like and um and she was like i'm done i'm done i was like no you're not we we wrote a cliffhanger she's like no i'm really done and (laughs) and went up to college and she calls me up that september and she's like so i've been thinking about the sequel and i'm like yeah yeah so right and so she uh she and i actually wrote the sequel from 10 a.m to midnight because that was the only time she had free via speakerphone and um yeah and so we toured for you know again we went on tour for that and i will say that she is a teacher now she's a fourth grade teacher but she um she went to vassar she wrote a creative thesis and she's actually taking a year off to write and so i have every expectation that you can have her on your show next year but um, (laughs) after when we finished between the lines i really felt like it sang it felt like a story that sang and i started Mm. to look to figure out how do you turn that into a Broadway bound musical. And I was fortunate enough to connect with a woman named Daryl Roth, who is a very famous Broadway producer. Uh, She did kinky boots. She's won over a dozen Tonys and um, she loved the book and she wanted to pull together a team to do this. And she wanted to teach me how to write a musical. And um, I found the songwriters who uh, were brand new, just out of something called BMI, which is, um, 
kind of like a, a, a crucible for musical theater songwriters. And on the strength of the music they wrote for Between the Lines, they were actually hired by Disney. So I was like, oh, okay, I, I picked good people. And, um, <laughs> and then she brought in a book writer. The book writer is the one who writes the libretto, the script. And this is a guy named Tim McDonald. And um, Tim was great because Tim was like, I would love for you to help me. And he didn't have to do that. He literally could have said, bye, it's mine now. And because of that, working with him, I learned how to write a musical. And not only that, but I also learned that he's kind of the brother I never had and that we, oh, we just awesome. fit like that. And so um, we loved working together so much that we actually said, what else are we going to do next? And so not to correct you, Mary Alice, but um, we have three musicals. So we <laughs> okay. then wrote, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to write something, to adapt something that I hadn't written the source material for. So we got the rights to The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. Oh, no. And, oh, you did not. Uh-huh. And oh. that, is, um, that was supposed to debut this year in the UK, but we pushed it a year because of COVID. So you'll see that next year in the UK. And then... During this entire pandemic, right away, Tim and I start, we, Tim and I talk all the time. So I said, you know, someone's got to tell this story. Someone has to make sense of this pandemic. And it felt right to start with theater because what is theater other than being in an individual seat and having the same emotion as the person next to you because of what you're seeing. That's how we all felt in lockdown. We were all feeling the same thing, right. but we were all very isolated. Mm -hmm. And we decided to come up with, with five different vignettes that were, um, that looked at different couples and how they the affects the impact of the virus on their lives, their families, their health, um, on the nation, uh, you know, and they range from a rom-com and from things that are funny to things that are devastatingly heartbreaking to, um, to the story of uh, the racial unrest in this country, um, they to what it's like to have to homeschool your kids. I mean, they range all over the place. And, what we wanted to do was to involve as many musical theater writers as humanly possible because nobody was working. So uh, we collaborated yeah. with five different songwriting teams. Each of them awesome. worked on a different vignette and they're all interconnected. And then we hired five different directors and a supervising director. And we knew that we couldn't perform this live because we're not allowed to do that yet. So what we chose to do was to film it quite beautifully in a theater, an empty theater with the empty audience lit like it's basically, you know, a character. And we're showing you the last reading basically for the authors. And because of COVID, this is a beautiful thing. Our cast is insane. We have Kelly O'Hara and Brian Stokes Mitchell oh and Danae Benton and Matt Doyle and Max Clayton wow. and Daniel wow. Yearwood from Hamilton and T. Oliver Reed. And it's like, it's an A-list of amazing people. And the music is phenomenal. And I promise that when you, when you finish watching it, what you're going to feel is hope, which is what we all need right now. What, so I do hope that people will get it. Tickets are available. Go to Jody's Tickets website, available now. May 14th. Mm -hmm. That is super. Yeah. Can I ask one and you, and you don't have to watch it on the 14th. You can you buy a ticket and you stream it oh. anytime in the next two months. That's cool. Oh, well, that's wow. good to know. But I have one quick question. I'm sorry. We know not writing a novel. And mm -hmm. we always talk about how writing a script is so different. Yes. So yeah. is writing a musical that kind of different? Yeah. So the difference between writing, as you probably would say, writing a book and writing a script or writing um, a screenplay is the difference between taxidermy and um, paleontology. 
right? Because a screenplay is creating a skeleton that everyone's going to layer over and your layers of the director and the set designer and the actors. When you write a book, you have to create everything in 3D. So I always, I approach any kind of libretto like that. The other difference though, is that music takes the place of words. Often um, music is not very good for getting information across, but it's really good for getting feeling across. Yeah. And so it's a very collaborative effort. Very often we'll write a scene and then the songwriters will go, oh, that's excellent. We're going to steal all those and we're going to put them in the lyrics. Thanks so much. You know, and they do that all the time or vice versa. Um, so it's really fun because it's a give and take and it feels like you have five brains working instead of mm-hmm. one, which I really love. Because as you know, we have very solitary lives as novelists. Yeah. So the collaborative element is what I really love about making theater. And um, and it does require you to think in a different way. And for me, you know, when you're a novelist, you kind of want to show off. You want to use a phrase that makes someone go, yeah. oh, that's beautiful. When you are a librettist, you want to go away. If you do your work well, the songs are seamless and nobody even notices that you're the one who organized them or who created the structure. So it's a very different kind of writing, but kind of fun. That's that's enlightening. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Jody, we have this amazing community who are pouring in their questions right now. Yay! Mary, could you ask one of the ones that um, came in already? I will, and I'm sorry to my sister-in-law who wants to so badly ask you a question, but I can't find it. This one is from Lynn Proser-Kumer, who says, what book or author has had the most impact on your life, and how has that influenced your writing? That's a great question, and the answer is Alice Hoffman. Oh, Alice um, was the first book that I remember reading outside of college that I wasn't assigned, you know, when I got to be a reader again instead of a student. (laughs) And I loved her writing because she makes writing look so effortless and so easy and dreamy and um, and all the magical realism. It's just so beautiful. Her writing is so beautiful. And for years, I was like her number one, you know, stalker fan. And then I got asked to do an event on Cape Cod. And she was going to be at the event. I was like, yes, yes. You know, and, um, and I went and you know, I met her. I tried to play it really cool. And she could not have been lovelier. Oh, and you know, when you, do you know when you meet like an author yeah. and you're like, oh, my God, they're just as nice as I wanted them to be. I know. And, yes, right? and, and you know, I have to say that my one of the high points in my career is that Alice and I are, we're friends now. And like, oh, I can text her oh, whatever I want. Um, and ending. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Jody, I mean, that's like, that's how I, I feel it. about being on Friends and Fiction. Aww. Aww. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's real though. The, the friendships that we make with certain writers, because yeah. we, we have experience that other people don't have. I think they're really, really important. And I, I love Alice. She's just a, a wonderful human being and an incredible writer, obviously. So she's the one for me. So Thank Christina you. Palmer says, Jody, I love your Twitter account. And I do too. I follow you on Twitter. Oh God. Uh, she says, you kept me sane during the last four years. Um, did Twitter keep you sane too? I don't think Twitter keeps anybody sane. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Twitter is like the cesspool of social media, but I, I don't know about you guys. I find that I use my social media in very different ways. Yeah. You know, so my, my Instagram, um, I don't even know. Usually it's my dogs or something on my Instagram. Uh, my Facebook page is mostly run by the publisher and is really about book stuff. And Twitter is where I, I maintain my Twitter and I'm very political and I'm very outspoken. <laughs> and in it. fact, 
very oddly, I spent the entire day trying to explain to the state of New Hampshire that I don't want to run for governor because I'm being recruited. I am not <laughs> kidding you. If you go to my Twitter oh, page, Jody, run, run. Uh, we want your no. vote. No, <laughs> I will be able to write if I'm a governor. Um, you know, it, it, it has been a very strange day. That's all I'm going to say. So I shouldn't have to say that, but apparently I do. I will not be running for governor of New Hampshire. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, um, Diana Kuhn McGoldrick wants to know if your son has read the I'm sorry I'm doing this. It's because the question is over here yeah. and I yeah. can't see yeah. this. But it, um, she wants to know <laughs> if your son has read your book and if so, what did he think? Yes. Um, so you're talking about my son, the Egyptologist, I'm yes, sure. Yes, and, uh, and yeah. No, so I'm I'm user governor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get that screenshot up on Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, Kyle has read the book. In fact, to Kyle's great chagrin, Kyle had to read the book before it was published to make sure I wasn't messing up on any of the spellings and translations of the hieroglyphs. So um, I think he he was not thrilled that he was roped into that. But, uh, you know, it's, what can I say? It's, I guess, a caveat to being your my mom. child. But yeah, yeah mom. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a great built-in fact checker. That's wonderful. Yeah, uh, yeah Rhonda, I know. <laughs> Rhonda Parrott would like to know, she says, you attack some pretty heavy life events in your books. Are mm -hmm. you ever nervous how they will be received? Mm. So I... I just don't have a lot of F's left to give. Okay, we have to remember that one. Say that I, again. I, I, I don't. I've gotten to an age where I'm like, you know, take it or yeah. leave it. And I honestly, I do write about really challenging things. And I, what I hope I do in my books and what I strive to do in my books is to make sure that if I'm writing about a particularly contentious situation, I will always give you both sides of the story. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to tell you what to think. I'm going to let you examine your own uh, yeah. beliefs and decide why your beliefs are what they are, you know? Yeah. Um, right. But I'm very, I'm, I think I'm very equal handed in that. And to the point where, for example, um, when I, when I did spark of light, which was about abortion rights in this country, yeah. uh, I have been asked multiple times, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? I can't tell. And I am a hundred percent happy to tell you, you know, what I am and I happen to be pro-choice, but I also recognize this is a really fraught issue and nothing is black and white. Women's lives are thousands of shades of gray. And that was the point of the book. And, you know, that's why I don't believe that we should be legislating those rights. So I, I made sure to include all sides of that in the book. And um, to that end, I will always tell you my point of view, but I promise you that in my books, I will always let you have both sides of the story. That said, there are some people who just are not happy. And um, a really good example of that is, I know someone had mentioned earlier before we got on that I recently did a chat with Nancy Johnson, amazing author, first time oh author. Her book is called The Kindest Lie. Love her. We had, and, yeah, we had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't she great, right? Yeah, she's yeah. amazing. So I, um, one of the things that I, I take very seriously is trying to do what I can to dismantle racism as a white woman. And part of having a platform means being able to use that. So I try to do talks about race with people like Nancy Johnson or Nick Stone or really anyone who will talk to me about it. And um, I went, I had posted on Facebook that Cuyahoga Library was basically doing this Yay, talk. And I, I said, know. it's free, you know. Oh, oh my God. God. You, oh my right. God. I could not believe the stuff you got. Right. But right, you saw that. 
And so I was like, all I said was free event, America, we need to talk about race. And literally I had a thousand comments. How dare you call me a racist? And I was like, I'm sorry, did I call you a racist? You know, it was a me thinks the lady doth protest too much moment. And it yeah. got into a lot of white guilt and, um, you know, all this stuff wow. that is, is very hard to unpack. And unfortunately, I, I mean, I have very strong feelings about racism and about the work that white people have to do to dismantle it. I'm not going to shut up about that because I really think it's important that we talk about it. And I'm not going to tell you you're a racist and I'm not going to say feel guilty for being white. Now, I didn't ask to be born this color, but if I am this color, what am I going to do with that privilege? That's the real question. So I engaged with a lot of those haters that weekend. Wow. And, you know, oh, wow. The truth is, oh, yeah. I mean, I always will. But I, okay. I just... Some people aren't ready to hear it and some people don't want to hear it. And I hear on a daily basis, I am never reading your books again. I'm burning your books. I'm throwing them in the trash. Wow. And, you know, I say, I always say, well, I hope you'll give them to a library instead. But sometimes they don't. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, Jody. every Ooh. week on a totally different subject, one of our <laughs> yeah. favorite parts of the show is receiving a writing tip. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to pretend this is for our viewers, but... Okay, we want to know. One of the things I I've talked a lot about is I don't believe in writer's block. Hmm. I don't believe in it because when I started writing, I had three children under the age of four, oh, and wow. I did not have I didn't have time for writer's block. Yeah, right. so probably like you, I would write anytime they were napping. Um, I would take my laptop to swim practice. I would have it on my car dashboard when I was picking up at nursery school. Um, if they weren't hitting each other over the head with sippy cups, I was trying to get into paragraph. Any <laughs> spare moment I could, I, I was writing. And then, of course, a miracle happened, public school, and I had eight hours a day to write. <laughs> and, um, and that was great. But... I still behaved the way I did when I had no time. And for people who think about writer's block, I want you to imagine being in college, how you couldn't write that paper. And then miraculously, the night before it was due, you were able to write that paper. So, you know, writer's block is really for people who have too much time on their hands. And what I've become, <laughs> what I've become known for saying is that you can't edit a blank page, but you can edit a bad page. And yeah. so it's really important that what you do is put down on paper anything, anything at all, yeah. knowing that you can revise it. Because if you put nothing down, you have nothing to work on. And so just sit yourself down in that chair and make yourself start writing and then go back to it. Um, but that's, that's basically the way you work through writer's block. That's yep. awesome. Love what it. a great tip. That. You can't and, you edit know, an empty page. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that idea that the challenges that we face at the beginning of our writing careers kind of make us into the writers we are now. I mean, that that was totally. a challenge to have to find that. Time. We literally just had this talk. Like, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I really think so, because um, I was I was writing on a very tight schedule, yep. a book a year. I had three kids. I was the primary caretaker. You know, yep. I mean, I was I was doing everything that I could yeah. to just meet my yes. deadlines. And I think that gave me a rigor now that I, I keep, even though I don't need it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah. Jody, do you have a book you could recommend tonight? Yeah, I'm kind of excited about this. It's coming out next week. Ooh. So all of you can go and order it right now. And it is by Chris Bojalian, who oh, is so a good. lovely guy. <laughs> yeah, do you know it? He's coming. Yeah. He's coming here. He's coming? Yeah, oh, do we? Good, good, good. good. Um, we so know what it the is. Hour of, the Hour of the Witch. Yes. And um, here's why I love it. I, I mean, he's kind of like... He, he's the reverse of the question that um, that Mary Kate was talking about when it was about women's fiction. He's a man who writes 
women really, really well, really well, and really well. And I don't think he is as well known as he should be. And I, yeah. I've always maintained that. He's also a lovely human being. I have to say, yeah. he's just the nicest man. But, um, but so the hour of the witch is actually set in Puritan New England, yeah. right, in right. Boston, and is full of like it, it's a total look at. Um, you know, at, at what life was like for women back then, and particularly what an abusive relationship looked like. And I was reading this and I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. First of all, I couldn't believe how much research she did. I was blown away by that. But also that so little has changed. Yeah. That an intelligent woman is a scary woman. And that yeah. still has not changed. Yeah. You still get to and call her names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Call yeah. her names. Um, comment on her on her brain comment they call what does he say um her husband says you have white meat white White meat meat, your head gray cheese or something yeah Yeah. no it's it's white meat it's like gravy or like cheese now hush up yeah and Mm -hmm. you know and that is so threatening to men women who can think and um i love we're a lot of women and we think and we see you (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, I like the way you ended that. We see you. Thank you yeah. for recommending that because he's going to be our guest on the 28th. So oh, I'm so glad. You'll love him. Come for that and yeah. get the book now. Yeah. I have a book to recommend and it's an audio book. Everyone knows I love audio books. And this week I have Faye Far Away by Helen <gasps> Fisher. And it's a really cool belt book. It's if you love the time traveler's life of white. You're going to love Faye Far Away. Mm-hmm. It's about a, a woman who travels back in time, and she's reunited with the mother she lost as a child. She has decisions to make. Talk about two ways. Mm-hmm. What I really love, too, is you have to have a good narrator, and Sophie Roberts is a beautiful narrator, and her voice takes you far away. <laughs> That's awesome. It sounds great. I would like to recommend tonight Little Pieces of Me, which just came out yesterday by Allison Hammer. Um, she was actually on our show, I think, back in uh, January when we were talking about debuts. This is her second novel. Um, it is, I think, even better than her first, which I would not have thought possible because I loved her first. Um, it's beautiful. She's a gorgeous writer. It explores some fascinating issues. Um and I just so highly recommend it. She's just such a good human being. And that just, it just comes through on every page in this book. Little Pieces of Me, Alison Hammer. I can't wait to read that. And Jody, I loved The Hour of the Witch so much. I read yeah. it the minute I finished. And was and like, so I, you were like on the plane texting. I was texting yeah. all she was of like them. Texting yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. like, hurry up and read yeah. it. Hurry up and read it. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he speaks from her point of view the whole book. And it, that's it's awesome. Yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. Um, I would love to suggest to everyone, I know we've talked about it, but my dear friend Paula McLean's book came out yesterday, When uh-huh. the Stars Go Dark. And Paula, as you know, is the author of The Paris Wife, but this is a genre switch for her. It's a thriller yeah. and it's yeah. astounding. Okay. All right, Jody, please stick around. Don't go anywhere <laughs> for the birthday party because we have one more question for you. And it's one of our favorite questions. But first, we have to tick through a couple things. We want to remind all of you out there to check out our podcasts. We have a couple new ones that have just popped up. So go check those out. And don't forget to join the Friends in Fiction Book Club. It's the official book club hosted by our friends, Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner. And Patty will be visiting on Monday to talk about her book, Surviving Savannah. Yay. And go grab her book club kit off her website. And she'll see you there on Monday. And next week, they're going to be reading my new book, Under the Southern Sky, which comes out next Tuesday. So it's That would be 
days from now. That'd be six days, days from now. now. And how you know? You're so good. I don't even have one with me. Yeah. Um, we don't even have one. We just did the first event. It was so fun. It was so exciting. Um, you can order um, from your favorite independent bookstore, preferably, or wherever books are sold. And we also want to give a big thank you to our amazing partner, Mama Geraldine's, whose cheese straws are out of this world, and who my personal favorite cinnamonies are... Um, my favorite road trip snack. So I have a ton of them packed. I actually have the little mini bags for pretty much Perfect. all of my tour events. So if you come see me on tour, you're probably going to walk away with some mama cheese. They are amazing. <laughs> you can get 20% off of your orders on their website, mamageraldines.com with the code FAB5. And don't forget um, to, you know, as long as we're talking about pre-ordering, you know, <laughs> I got to keep my own horn. I hope you will remember to pre-order. <laughs> The, the real new, thing. The newcomer. Ah, I don't have Ooh. the real one yet. Yeah, yeah nice. <laughs> um, and if you and I hope you'll do that tonight, because we now know um, what Jody told us that you, we've got a new a new bookstore tonight, and the, at new bookstores it's so hard yes. to them up and running and to um, you know to to find their place in a community. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I, you know, of course I want you to pre-order my book, but I want you to pre-order everybody's book. Yep. And, uh, you know, yeah. the, the great thing, the, the, the great, the only good thing about the pandemic just about is it, it's made us all aware that we yep. can order books from anywhere we want. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and that's just an amazing thing. And, um, okay, next week, 7 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to have the big, we're just partying party this whole I know, month. this is a party month. It's great. Yeah, it's a celebration <laughs> launch of Under the Southern Sky. She's got big surprises in store for all of us. And then the next week, guess what? Chris, Chris Bajalian. Yeah. <laughs> As we talk to him about his stunning book, The Hour of the Witch. And, uh, oh, I can't forget to thank our partner, Page One Books, where you can also use that same code, FAB5, to get 10% off your first subscription. And that's what they do. They book subscriptions, awesome, hand-picked, personalized book subscriptions from an independent bookstore right to you. If you like to read, you need this. Think about <laughs> gift-wrapped books mailed to your door each month. It's almost as good as chocolate arriving. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean is showing you the graphic for that. And you can find more about Page One Books right there at pageonebooks.com. And I think they'll send you Mama G's with your books, too. I think they oh, might. I heard about, about. rumor about. Oh, yeah. I love it. Love it. Snacks. It's so good. Snacks and books. Repeat. You're making me hungry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're eating our cake. All right. So, Jody, it is so interesting not only to hear about your books, but also about you. So, one of the things we love to know about the authors who visit with us is a little bit about what shaped them into the writers they are today. So, here's the question that we try to ask every week What were the values around reading and writing in mm. your childhood? Um, huge. So my mother, what, well, actually I come from a long line of teachers and I've produced a bunch of teachers as well. <laughs> and, um, and I was a teacher before I was a writer. I was an eighth grade English teacher. Oh, wow. And so, um, yeah. And when I was really little, I started to read really young. I was reading when I was about three and a half, four years old. And wow. my mom told me wow. that I could get a library card when I could sign my name. That was a really big deal to me. Wow. And so as soon as I could sign my name, she took me with her to get a library card. And twice a week, we would go to the library and she would bring home a stack of books and I would bring home a stack of books. And then I would go and, you know, return. I loved the library. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. And, um, and that was it. Like we always read before bed and my mom 
a hundred percent modeled reading for me. Um, then I, I grew up and my first real job was as a page at a library, which is a total wow, self-fulfilling so prophecy, right? That's it's amazing. so cool. Yeah. So I was there shelving all the books and doing like big displays in the children's section. I loved it. And, um, and I really, I love librarians. You know, I think a lot of times people think books, book uh, writers don't love li libraries because oh, they don't oh, buy oh, books, oh. but we love them. Oh, we yeah. love them because they make reading accessible and, yep. you know, and it, they're just such an important institution in America. So we all love our libraries very, very much. And we love librarians for many years before there was an internet, because I'm that old. I used librarians oh, to yes. do research oh, with yes. me, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, so uh, that, that sense that reading was not just, um, it wasn't just a pastime. It was really part of our lives. I think that's, that's what really made me a reader when I was growing up. And I, I just, I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine a world without reading. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jody, for being here with us and to all of you. Out oh, here, thank you. We would ask you to keep hanging out with us because we have our birthday party after show coming up. And we strongly encourage you to grab Jody's <laughs> new book, Book Two Ways, preferably from our bookseller of the week, which is still North Books and Bars, Books and Bar in downtown Hanover, New Hampshire. And Jody, thank you so much for Jody, being thank with you. Oh, thank you. This is the after party. You. So <laughs> you're, you're the best. Thank, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy birthday. It's right now. Yes. Okay, folks. We'll see you in a minute at the after party. Come back next week. Same time, same place as we celebrate our Christy Woods and Harvey. Oh, and go take. I'm going to post it tomorrow. The Witch Under the Southern Sky character are you? Before the, you party. before the party. Before the party, because we're going to find out. And if you're just dying and you can't wait to take the quiz, you can go to ChristyWoodsandHarvey.com and it's up right now. And don't forget that you get a key fob if yeah. you order her book today. Pre-order. From Still North Books. Yeah. And we'll yeah. see you at the after party in about... 30 seconds, 45 seconds, less than a minute. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.